This episode may include topics, references, or discussions around sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, or subject matters that may be disturbing to some of our listeners. We do acknowledge that this content may be difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. Podcast Network Asia. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Hello, everyone. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. I am in Manila, hoping you're having a great day. Thank you for listening in to She Talks Peace. And a special shout out for our new listeners from Dina, from Turkey, from Oregon, Nevada, and Georgia in the United States. And my co host. Hi everyone, Dina Zaman here of Iman Research Malaysia. It's good to see everyone uh, today and it's good to also have our listeners from all these countries. I mean, this is really new, Amina, listening in. And Amina, it's good to see you again after the CWP Summit. I'm really, really hoping we can take our conferences online, offline soon. Yeah, I know. I mean, the, the summit was great. But technology can only help up to a point. There's there's no substitute for face-to-face meetings where the chats outside the formal meeting places can actually be more productive and which leads to fantastic outcomes like establishing long-lasting collaborations like us, Dina, and friendships. Or visiting yes. far-off communities and being able to comfort women whose lives have been so hard, don't you think? I know what you mean. I'm hoping that once we get to meet face-to-face, you know, unlike the conferences that we attended many years ago, I'm hoping that it's going to be more targeted because, you know, I think we all realize time is of essence, and COVID really, you know, impacted the way we did our work. So when we meet next, Amina, we've got to do great things. Yeah, we've got to meet uh, with the women that you have um, trained in Malaysia. Now, I, I, I really like um, going down to the community levels and being able to have personal interactions with the people that we 
that we work with. I remember one time I was in Marawi. I remember we had a siege there four years ago, five-month siege. Huh? And um, I was working on our literacy, our adult literacy program. An old Maranao woman, she must have been I don't know, 70 to 80 years old. She was so proud. She was uh, part of our adult literacy class. And she was so proud to show to me her beaded wall decor she had made herself. And uh, it was the mythical Sari Manok. I think in Malaysian Indonesia, uh-huh. you call it Burung Petala? A mythical. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow, Dina. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's supposed to be a mythical bird. Okay. And uh, okay. the old lady was so happy that I took the time oh. to hold the, beat, the, the beaded wall decor that she had made, admired her beautiful, detailed, and meticulous beadwork. And you know what? I ended up buying the piece. Oh, you can't have you got a photo of that. Well, you know, we, th- th- that's the beauty of being able to actually be there face to face. And you can't do that via Zoom. But um, that encounter gave me an inspiration. And I thought, what if we made canvas bags, like for conferences and shopping? And we use the beaded work of these Marana women as decor. And uh, it just so happened that a friend of mine, her name is Lisa Sate, she runs an NGO for, um, you know, the, um, uh, what do you call it, the rehabilitated uh, women who were trafficked and, and abused. And they made conference bags. So Lisa and I put our heads together and came up with these gorgeous canvas bags, shopping bags or or conference bags with the beaded work. And we sold a lot that year. And, you know, know, so the Marana women who who attended our literacy classes, they earned pretty good money. And so did the women who who were trafficked. You know, Dina, I'm... I, I'll send you. I'll send you one okay. of those bags. Each one is unique. No two are alike. And but this is the, this is the thing because of COVID, uh, we haven't been to Marawi in in the last two years. Oh, and I got okay. a text from right. one of uh, the women asking if we could revive the the project. Oh, you should. I mean, you should. I've always thought that with peace building work, right? I mean, the work we do is so intense, but it also can be very beautiful. So I hope you revive yeah. that, especially in conflict uh, areas at Marawi. Yeah. I mean, rural women's economic support is so necessary, not just for their own livelihood, but for overall economic development of society and nation. And it's not just in Marawi, but all around the world, you know. And there have been so many studies that reveal how a country's economy grows faster when women are earning. Even though women are becoming socially empowered through peace building or human rights training, they cannot be empowered if there's, you know, they have no income, you know, That's money true. talks. That's and true. remember when we had that, uh, what do you call that, the interview with Deborah Henry? Oh, that's right. Fuji yeah. School of Fuji. Yeah. There's been quite a number that's cropped out in Kuala Lumpur as well. Um, Dia Gilt, 
you know, we really should band together, have a separate conversation with everyone as a kid. How do we take this globally? Yeah, I, I really think we should. And I think uh, Debbie and her Fuji yes. would actually have a lot to talk about with our new guest, yeah, yeah, with our next yeah. guest. And in fact, we could even ask yeah. our guest about right. how we can revive the bag-making project of the, okay. the newly literate Maranao women. Who knows? Right. Maybe she can even help us find buyers, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I Googled her, you know, Amina. Did an <laughs> NGO help in Marawi after the siege? Absolutely, she did. And our guest today is Jessica Marie Robredo, or Aika, uh-huh. as her friends right. and family call her. Aika uh-huh. has chosen to do NGO work after finishing her master's in public administration from the uh, Kennedy School in, in Harvard. Oh, and uh, she heads, and this is what should be very, very interesting for you and me and Debbie. She right. heads the Restart Microenterprise Inc. or Restart Me. I like that, Restart Me, which helps people get back on their feet through livelihood opportunities. She and Restart Me have extended uh-huh. help to victims of typhoons, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, the Marawi siege, and now uh, they're helping with the victims of, uh, of the pandemic. And um, you know, maybe she should she could tell us a little of the yeah, yeah, yeah. hiring stories, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. Of these women that, that she has helped. But she wasn't in NGO all the time. Uh, she started her right. work actually in the private sector. Maybe it's mm. like you, Dina. She started <laughs> in the energy sector, uh, doing oh, marketing, okay. planning. Mm. She was part of operations. Then later, I don't know if she was influenced by her parents, but right. she joined government, became an oh. executive assistant to the Secretary of Transportation and Communication. And okay. then her last job in government was the with the Office of Civil Defense, where she worked oh. on disaster risk resilience and management. And um, oh. she's now, she's also the chairman of the Jesse Robredo Foundation, which All promotes right. the vision of the late Secretary Robredo and former Mayor Robredo, her dad, particularly mm-hmm. in good governance and ethical leadership. What do you think about that, Dina? Oh, really, really impressive, Amina. You know what? You also forgot to say she's also the daughter of Vice President Lenny Robredo. Oops. Let's welcome her. Hello, Aika. Hello, hi. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me. Um, I hope I live up to how you introduced me <laughs> to this podcast. But thank you, thank you for the invitation. It's an honor for me to be here. I'm so glad to see you, Aika. Aika, can you share with us one of your inspiring stories of uh, the women who have managed to get restarted with Restart Me? So, so maybe I'll I'll backtrack um, sure. a little. Bit. So, in in Restart Me, it's it's a wholesale microfinance NGO. So mm. we actually extend loans to other MFIs, microfinance institutions at um, zero to low interest rates. 
so that they can pass it on to to their to their members at um at a lower cost as well. And we usually come in right after a disaster. So it's like an in-between bridging them between essentially what the MFIs do is that um their their current business loans are are on moratorium until they're able to get back on their feet. And they use the the restart the loans to sort of bridge the gap between recovering from a disaster and then restarting again. Hence, hence the yeah. hence the name of the NGO restart me. And um from at least from our experience, um, so my background is more disaster management and, and right. less less on the financing side. It's something mm-hmm. I had to learn when I started in Restart Me. But um, at least after, say, typhoons or earthquakes, the, the circumstances are more or less similar in the sense yeah. that after a typhoon or after an earthquake, essentially the disaster is, is over. And then your focus is just rebuilding. But after the Marawi siege and, and right now, um, during during the pandemic, it's it's like an ongoing disaster. Since um at least for, for COVID, you're you're not really sure when it ends. Um the 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 quarantine restrictions may may vary and may still be unpredictable at, at times. So it's also something that um where we're trying to navigate our way through. But uh, you you mentioned earlier most of most of our MSMEs are women. I think some of the MFIs actually require that their members are are women. Um, according to them, they I don't know at least based on their experience, they they said that women are better at budgeting or that they they pay their loans at a more timely and regular manner compared to their male partners. But um, I guess zeroing in. Um, on the on the Marawi siege experience that we had, so initially when we went to Marawi, we thought the the template was similar to, to any other kind of disaster. So we went there. We we told them that okay, we are dispersing um, this amount to your MFIs, and then they can pass it on to the members. But this was um, at the earlier part of the post siege, and some of the some of the MSMEs would actually refuse to take the capital because they they felt that there was no market for them to to actually sell their products to. So one of the one of the things that um, we learned was that with, with financing it has to be complemented with with some capacity building or some technical assistance training just so they expand um what they can do or just so they can explore say their their market and and make it bigger. Right. And, um right. yes. So we we I think we we featured um a couple of our our nanas, a couple of yeah. our a couple of our social entrepreneurs on our website. Some of them actually um used to be just housewives with you know they they they're not involved in um bringing in some income to the household because they they were dependent on their husband. But after the after the siege, uh, I think this is the the innate strength of, of every woman that whenever they are in that kind of circumstance, um, they, they just really try to figure out a way to get themselves and get their families out of it. So a lot of, a lot of these brave women um, took on the loan, joined, mm. uh, joined the MFI. They took on some loans and they started to do, you know, the, the sari sari store selling, or mm-hmm. they started to sew and weave and, and tried to, 
um, explore products that they can either market or, or send to to other to other areas. So it was essentially that. Um, during the pandemic, also, I, I think their creativity was tested. Ah. Um, we were told that um, some of them have been used to selling clothes and garments, but when the pandemic hit, they had to diversify into selling, say, alcohols and masks and other. Uh-huh. So you know, it's 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 also a learning process for us. Um, I, I guess when when I started, I thought it was like a, a template solution after every kind of disaster. But given our experience in the last, um, I guess, three or so years, it's also something that we we had to learn so we are able to help them more. You know, Aika, Dina, this is this is something that our government, mine and yours, Dina, have to learn. They have to learn to trust the civil society organizations who work at the community level. Because let me tell you a funny thing, and this is really crazy, Aika. Um, when we started um, helping the women, you know, do the canvas bags, the uh, government had provided uh, sewing machines and uh, uh, seed money so that the women could sew clothes to sell. Well, first, you're in a refugee area. Who's going to buy? especially since you can buy secondhand clothes donated by, you know, from abroad for like what, 10 pesos. And then second, there's, where are you going to put the, the sewing machine? So we thought, oh my God, the government has to, to listen to, to civil society. Like, uh, like, does your government listen to you, Dina, in uh, Malaysia? <laughs> I think they view all civil society uh, organizations, unless they are aligned to, you know, their values. They, they view a lot of people, think tanks, C- uh, CSOs, rather mm. suspiciously. Uh, we're on friendly terms, you know. I think all CSOs are friendly with everyone. But uh, it's, uh, it's tough, you know. It's tough. Yeah, I would like to ask Aika. I mean, I want to hear more about uh, your work. Yeah, but I, I really would like to know how it is that you actually move from corporate to civil society. I mean, you were in oil and right. gas, and then in the public <laughs> service. It's kind of like my life also. So, how, what influenced you? What made you do this? How much time do we have? No, I think. <laughs> I think having, uh, I think being born into parents who, yeah. uh, I, I was born like six days before my dad's first election as, as mayor. Oh. Oh. So through, through <laughs> most of my life, it was more of that. But I think, I think actually um, it had the opposite effect on me in the sense that throughout high school and in college, I was determined to do something different from, mm. from, you know, from what, what he's been doing. So uh, that's how I ended up in corporate. Um, and it was something that I actually enjoyed. Um, the, the energy industry is very interesting. And then my, my focus really was more on operations and, and logistics and supply, which mm. was actually great for me. But uh, I think after, after he passed away, um, mm-hmm. it was more of a wake-up call for me. And I, I figured, you know, life is short. You might as well do things. You, you, to, you told yourself that you would probably never try. So I, I figured it was the best time for me to, you know, give it a shot at um, working in government because 
coincidentally, coincidentally, there was also an opportunity that 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 came to me. There was an opening to to become um, an executive assistant to the new secretary of transportation at that time. And because my background was oil and gas, mm. so I felt that okay, uh, I may be able to bring something different from the other people who've been in government for so long. So that's how that's how I ended up there. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess I like the the foundation that I learned from working in corporate. It's it's very structured. It's it's very disciplined. And when you work in government, you you sort of bring that in, but you learn how to work through through the bureaucracy you work with different kinds of people you you i don't know i don't know if i became more patient but Mm. (laughs) at least when i ended up um in in civil defense it's it's the government agency that um oversees disaster management all over the country um i really saw the the potential on how the agency can bring different players in together especially before and after a disaster hits. So um, you you two were mentioning earlier that uh, we, we hope the government listened to, would listen to the civil yeah. society. And yeah. that's also a, a big frustration for us in Restart Me After the Siege because I think a lot of our groups were just so ready to, to dive in and mm. you know just ex- start helping out and try to get something done. But we, we sort of need like um, a commander that would tell us, okay, group A, you, you can do this area. Group B, we can do this area. So there won't be any, I would say, redundant activities. It, it's more synchronized, really. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I, I guess I'm hoping things would eventually work out that way. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how I ended up back in in the development sector right after Kennedy school, it was just really the first opportunity that also came to me. Uh, I, I think looking back at my professional career, I wasn't really the type to, to seek out. Uh, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. It was one of those things that, okay, here's an opportunity there. Might as well give it a try. And uh, I guess now that I'm in restart me, it all just made sense. Because prior to this, it was disaster work, but from a government perspective, and now it's more, um, I guess, action-oriented, on-the-ground kind of work. I think your life experiences has really um, uh, strengthened your your skills and propelled you to this particular sector. I know you and uh, separately your mom as, as vice president. Vice President Lenny has been to Marawi. Uh, several times um, looking at how to help the communities get back on their feet. I mean, it's been what, four years since the end of the Marawi siege. So what do you think uh, of the situation there based on, on, on your feedback? Um, Have the communities been uh, rehabilitated? Are they better off now? Um, How are they doing? I think so I think our biggest problem um, a couple of years ago was that the they were all in most of them were in temporary shelters and yeah. had an expiration. The lease, I think, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 temporary shelters had an expiration date, and uh, that that kind of uncertainty is also not very helpful to to the IDPs in, in those mm-hmm. areas because you know because it's all temporary. They, they mm-hmm. don't know if they 
I think it, it it kind of disrupts your your livelihood in the sense you can't really settle anywhere. So you you can't invest on a lot of infrastructure. Um, we we had plans before. Would it make sense for us to build like a, a common marketplace or a common selling area where everyone can come in and then? But because of the uncertainty of it all, it, yeah. it just never really materialized. And um, last year, we were hoping that it will get better because we knew that there was like a five-year contract. And then COVID happened and mm. everything, everything. Yeah. 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 So now we're, we're all mm. still stuck, uh, I think. Um, yeah. We're also waiting, I think, for, I guess, a, a more strategic plan or approach. So we also know how we can help more, but... Um, well, you've waited. You've waited a couple of years now, Ike. You can you can wait uh, six to eight more months for a, for a strategic plan to emerge. But oh, you know, we, it's 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 frustrating for us because I think the people there are also enthusiastic to get something done. Like we've conducted a couple of lively trainings here and there. And, mm. you know, they would ask us what the next steps will be or or how we can help them market their, their products outside Marawi, right. even outside Vegan right. City. But, uh, you know, just just some certainty, I think, or some some definite direction would, mm. would be very helpful to a lot of us working there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, talking about strategic planning, I remember when when we were um, you know visiting the the temporary uh, resettlement yeah. areas um, and asking them about how government is helping them with their with their livelihood. Right. And so in one community, there were like uh, I think in that one community there were like a hundred uh, right. families and. Um, out of 100 families, uh, 20 of them were given materials and uh, some money so that they could set up little mom and pop stores. So that's in one resettlement community with 100 families and 20 of them are selling food. Okay. And then in another resettlement community, uh, they got uh, materials and money and uh, training so that they could make noodles. Why on earth are you going to make noodles in a resettlement area when you can buy noodles for like what twenty pesos? Seems I understand what you're what Aika is talking about when she talks about you need something a little bit more strategic. But really, that comes out if government and uh, the local actors work hand in hand. Don't you think, yeah. Nina? Oh, I agree. Aika, um, I have one or two questions, right? What were the personal challenges that you faced when you joined civil society and did your work in Marawi? And how do you overcome them, you know, these challenges that it becomes, you know, a strategy or a policy? That's one. Two, and, you know, we, we're always talking about, you know, teaching entrepreneurship to poor women, displaced women, and all that. Is this the only way to empower these women? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, maybe I'll start with the, with the second one first. Okay. Um, because uh, I think when we when we jump in, you know how you know how when you're not that exposed to the area yet, you have a lot of ideas on how you can help. But when you actually go there, you, you realize that um, that might not be what they want to do. Right. So it, it's it's really I I I think that's also one of our I wouldn't say mistake, but one of our missteps in mm-hmm. in the stages that. You you know you you commit you you write all these proposals you write mm-hmm. all these grants saying we can do this this and mm-hmm. this and then execute it but when you go to the area you realize that um, culturally they they might think differently that it mm-hmm. might not be acceptable to them or it's not really something they're used to so uh, I think the at the, the basic empowerment for me is to just really try to listen and ask them okay tell us what you want to do and tell us what you need us to do. And then we'll sort of, you know, look for a compromise and try to find a way to, to package that and, and maybe look for funding or, or maybe in, improve your capacity further. So it becomes a full-blown, more sustainable program for, for the whole community. Um, for, for the first question, what, what were the challenges for us? I think because coming from government, for me personally, it's 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 more, it's, it was easier for me at that time to... Um, influence policy in the sense that you, you go to all these meetings, you, you you write some critiques or proposals on how to do things better. But mm-hmm. when you're in the civil society, I think lobbying is a lot harder for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if you're lucky, you have like, sometimes the local government would, would listen to you. Sometimes they would cooperate with you. Yeah. But I, I think it's really, it's something you have to acknowledge that um, your voice is not probably the the loudest that they they listen to. Mm-hmm. So the, the the first step is always to try to cooperate with them, show them what you can do, and then you know, like slowly later on, be more. Maybe we can try this next time, or maybe we can partner with this so we can do this this and that. So I, I guess it's more of an acknowledgement of the limitations of working in civil society, but at the same time, like. Years after, though, um, I, I think it's also more manageable for me in the sense that I have a clearer idea on what the, what the goals are, at least for the space that I, that I operate in. And it's also easier for me to see if, if some of them are working, if some of them needed to be reconsidered and, I guess, redrafted for, for a different direction next time. Yeah, but uh, Aika, you you have a secret weapon. You're a robredo, and your and the LGUs loved your dad. 
when when Jesse uh, was mayor, he had so many mm-hmm. friends among the LGUs from all over. When he became secretary of local government, he had even more friends. He started, mm-hmm. and this was really fa- fascinating, Dina. He started this um, uh, mm-hmm. seal of good housekeeping, he called it, where uh, they would look, they would choose LGUs who had improved themselves in terms of accountability and responsibility, and they actually got cash awards. So people really loved uh, uh, Jesse. And, and I'm sure when, when they hear that his daughter's there, I'm sure that they would be, I can they would be a yeah. little bit more, more receptive. Mm-hmm. But enough with your, about your dad. The Philippines has had two female presidents. But, you know, this is so sad, Dina. The environment has become a little bit more hostile to women and more, a little bit more sexist. So, so Ike, what do you think has changed and what can we do to preserve our gains, uh, women's gains, our rights? That, that we have worked so so hard for. Uh, I think if there's something uh, I learned from from my mom when because they see us that way, uh, I think it's important for to for us to show them that um, women are not the enemy. Mm. That it, it was never really a contest between men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think at least the the kind of of women empowerment or the, the kind of feminism I think that I grew up with um, at, or at least with my experience, my experience with my mom. <clears throat> so growing up, she always knew what kind of role she would play in our lives, in, in mm-hmm. my dad's life back then. Mm-hmm. And for the earlier part of my growing up, it was always, um, it was always on the sidelines. It was always on the backseat. It was mm-hmm. always just being supportive. And um, I, I think as women, once we understand what our roles yeah. are, um, hopefully we are able to, hopefully we are able to project them in such a way that it won't be threatening for, for others as well. Mm-hmm. I know it's not our jobs to not threaten them or to, <laughs> you know, to boost their confidence and say, but if we actually want to get something done, that's something that we also yeah. have to consider that it's, it, it's not necessarily, it doesn't, we don't need to be combative all the time. Mm-hmm. We don't need to, you know, like try to face them head on all the time. And, you know, this is actually something I learned from, from corporate. Mm. Because um, one of my initial roles um, in the in oil and gas industry, um, my position was called the business consultant. But essentially that means overseeing like a cluster of, of gas stations in, in a mm-hmm. particular area. And I was, I was maybe what, 20, 21 at that time, probably young. the youngest in the industry, <laughs> right. all, all the, all the gas station owners have been in the oil and gas business yeah. for 20 or 30 years. Yeah. And then the, the company that I'm working for would ask me to implement programs in, in my area. So my, the challenge for me at that time was how do I get them to actually follow my lead, given that they probably know more a lot about the business than so my strategy would, you know, I would, I would go to their stations one by one, try to have a conversation and say, you know, this is my problem. This is what the, the company's 
the company wants me to do or these are the, the goals that we need to hit. Do you have any ideas on how we can do this together? So, you know, it, it makes it sound like it's actually coming from them. Mm. But it, it's the one way to sort of get their commitment to actually get them to do what you want them to do. So mm-hmm. I, I think in navigating right now, at least in, in, the, in the kind of um, environment that we are in, uh, it's helpful, I think, if we are less combative and more, I don't know, I'd say gentle. I, I don't know what the appropriate description is, but I, I guess if they, they don't see us as the enemy, they would also be more receptive to us. Still under a velvet glove. I think Aika is learning a lot from her mom. Oh, yes. Aika, look, let's talk about politics and women's participation. Your mother is Vice President Lenny Robredo. I've read about you and about how you and your sisters have had a hard time accepting the fact that your mother is going to be seeking the presidency in the 2022 elections. But your sense of duty ultimately prevailed and you'll be expected to go all out in campaigning for the Philippine opposition leader as she faces the biggest battle of her political career so far. So please tell us, how does it feel to be the daughter of Lenny Robredo? Um, oh, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a PhD Bible. <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, uh, honestly, uh, I think, you know, my, uh, I'm sure my sisters and I all share the same opinion, but if, if I think we won the parental lottery, if there is such thing. I think yeah, we're, like, we're very lucky to be born into the, the parents that we have. Um, but at the same time, that also means a certain level of accepting the responsibilities that, that come with it. How does it feel to be their daughter? It actually, you know, ever since I was a kid, um, people would ask me, you know, your, your father is the mayor of the city. How do you feel about it? But we, we, we only see it as, as like their, their day job. You know how your, your friend's mom is a doctor or your dad, your, your friend's dad is a lawyer. And it so happened that my dad was mayor at that time and my mom is vice president now. So I, I guess we see it as, while it is an important um, responsibility for them, we also know that it's something that's also very temporary. It's only six years. If she gets lucky next year, then it's just an, another six years for us. Um, I don't think people can also fault me and my sisters for not wanting her to run anymore. Yeah. But ultimately, uh, we, we know it's her decision. And we also know that once she's set on, on doing something, the both the least and the most that we could do is to just actually support her. But it, it, it just kind of helps not to get it let into our heads too much. I think uh, we, we like even during the course of the campaign, I, I'm still doing my, my day job. I'm still committed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my mom doesn't want my, my sisters to like say stop school, take a, take a break or something because she, she knows that, you know, regardless of anything else that's happening, lives do go on, whether she, she wins next year or not, or not, we still have our jobs. We still have mm-hmm. our classes to go back to. So I guess that kind of normalcy also helps us a lot. Yeah, I know exactly uh, where you're coming from. Um, you are talking about children of political leaders trying to have a normal life. I remember when mom was in uh, her first year in the Senate, I 
And my brother Cheng was at the time working in the Bureau of Treasury. And he would take a jeep to work. He didn't have a car uh, at the time. And a jeepney driver recognized him, maybe saw his photo with my mom taking the oath of office or something like that, and asked him, Sir, do you buy, isn't your mother Senator Rasul? Why are you riding a jeepney? And my brother said, Well, she's the senator. I'm not. <laughs> so, you know, this is. This is our life, so I can understand uh, where um, where Aika is um, is coming uh, coming from. I mean, we've been in in electoral fa- uh, politics in uh, in the family, and my mom uh, is like Aika's um, mom, like Vice President Robredo. She had absolutely no desire to be in politics, but she was forced to. You know by whom? by my dad because they saw her as their best bet whether it was for barangay councilor and then later on board member and then after that senate and um, working for her in the senate I really saw the difference between the goals and the methods used by male and female leaders very different uh, approaches. And I'm not just talking about my mom. I'm also talking about the late uh, Senator Shahani. So what do you think, Aika? Would we be better off if there were more women in politics and management, like in New Zealand? Um, definitely. Uh, I think it, it balances out also the, the current perspectives um, that, that we have now. I think there will be more, I guess in general, there will be more empathy. There will be more understanding. Mm. Uh, I think we, there's also a, a stereotypical definition of a strong woman being being loud and being as, I guess, aggressive as men. Right. But, I, but at least in my opinion, there is so much strength um, that is required when you actually need to show restraint. And that's, that's often very understated. And um, especially in a, in a toxic and a very divisive um, political climate that most of us are, are in, mm. it, it helps to, to have someone who would actually know when to step on the, the brakes or who would actually know when to stop and inhale, exhale, and, mm. and just not add to the heat. And uh, I think people would hate each other less now, actually, if, if there are cooler heads in, in, in government and more understanding, I guess, ears that are usually more common. Not, not saying that, that um, men do not have these traits, but these are often more common for women, yeah. I would say. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just uh, when you were talking about that, I I remember the, the term of uh, President Ramos, but then he's an unusual uh, political leader. He came from the military. He was in the intelligence side. He was an engineer. So he was very used to listening and looking at structures. So he was a president that listened to all sides before he made a decision. And once he made a decision, you know, you had to you stick by it. You had to, to support. If you didn't, then you leave, uh, you leave government and criti- criticize from the outside. And I miss 
I miss that, Aika. A government, uh, national leaders that listen first, analyze, uh, be cons- you know, work by consensus, come up with an integrated strategic plan, and then make it work. Hi, Dina. You know, Amina, Aika, um, okay, I've just finished reading this book uh, by this Indonesian Chinese writer, Tiffany, Tiffany Sao. And mm-hmm. the book is about, I think it's actually, you know, it's actually about her life, yeah? Mm. She comes from a political dynasty in Indonesia, but she's decided to become her own, you know, her own person. So with the both of you, both of you come from political dynasties. How have mm. both of you managed this legacies and made it your own? You know, like, okay, yes, my parents were this, they did this, but I'm my own person. How did both of you do this? Well, le- let me just say that uh, I don't think um, I come from a political dynasty. My my mom is the only one that won. So that's the end of the dynasty. I got. Well, with the weakest, I think it, it's just really both my parents. So I don't know if also we qualify. <laughs> okay. But okay. Um, I don't know. I, I think all, all our lives we... We are all determined to do something that's also different from our parents. Mm. Uh, although I think uh, it, it took me a long time to, to make peace with the fact that I am the daughter, the daughter of my parents. Uh, for, for so long, it's something that uh, I struggled with or it's something that um, I intentionally veered away from. But uh, at least, you know, like right now, I, I made peace with the fact. But at the same time... Um, I guess it's also liberating for me to know that uh, I don't need to take the same path and mm-hmm. that, you know, we are all, all encouraged to, to go on our own paths and just live out, I, mm-hmm. I guess, how they want us to live out with the kind of ideas that they have in, in our own fields. You know, I come, um, in a way, uh, people like you and me who have, um, have had have political uh, parents or political leaders, we, you know, I, I, keep, I kept thinking then, the reason why yeah. I got into, into government and helping my mom out, how selfish it was. I mean, there are our parents telling everybody to help government, help the country, help the nation. And then, I'm going to stay in the World Bank in Washington, D.C. and not help. And I'm sure that you feel the same way. And um, you're going to get uh, really engaged. So what do you think about your future in this political movement, Aika? I, I, I still think that I would operate best if I operate in my own space for now. Um, you even when I go on, even when I do groundwork and visit the, the communities that um, we are we, we we work with, I usually don't introduce. When I introduce myself, it's just really Aika. Uh, I don't mention my last name because I feel like they're you know I, I wouldn't want <laughs> yeah, to I know. like the, the honest <laughs> answers from them if if they don't agree with, with something that I don't know maybe my my mom or my dad had done at some point. It's okay. <laughs> But uh, it's one of those things where I, I feel like I can just navigate more freely if, if they, they feel like I'm, I'm just some random, random stranger. Um, unless, of course, someone recognizes you and, and, and that's it. But we're still, we're still in the pandemic. 
those masks really help. <laughs> in, in, in a way that's that's really an but uh but yeah I, I think serious seriously though I, I I think even if um even if I move to another organization or find myself working somewhere else uh yeah I think I will always look for some way for me to to be involved or to be engaged in communities whether in a in a different capacity or through different means but um what's what's clear for me right now is that um being being in politics is not the it's not the only method i was just thinking aika uh i know your your mom has been forced to become a congresswoman forced by her party <laughs> to run for vice president <laughs> now forced by the party and the needs of the the country to to run for president but you're there in the thick of things why do you think Lenny Robredo is going to make a good president mm. i think it's it's because she never really sought out it, it wasn't in her plan since since day one she when when my when my dad was still alive she was probably the the last person we would all imagine to to join politics oh yeah i know that yes <laughs> yes you would know <laughs> but but you know if if i if i look back at her professional career as well i think everything all the roles that yeah. she played before are preparation are some kind of preparations for her as well um mm. It was not planned, but mm-hmm. that it just so happened that she was exposed yeah. to those kinds of things, and that's what he she has been doing back then. And I, I feel like her her dots are just connecting now, and now it makes sense why she had to go through all those things for probably a bigger role that that she would take on in in the future. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep, sounds she really does. Your mom really does sound like my mom. Mm-hmm. Honest to God. Aika, Amina, we only have about a minute or two. I think we can stretch it at the next five more minutes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, look, how about this? Going back to restart me. How can our listeners, our friends of peace builders all around the world support the foundation? Um, so, so right now, that's the, the one thing that um, we are working on right now is a collective action approach mm-hmm. to problems. I think COVID was a good wake-up call for us because mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we encouraged to, to our communities was to go um, to go online. Like for example, when 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 selling their things online, go digital, use GCash or PayMy or some mm-hmm. digital banking so that their livelihood uh, activities would go on. Mm-hmm. But what 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 we failed to understand before is that there are a lot more problems before they can actually move from step one to say step five. Uh-huh. And um, one, of the, one of the things that um, we are working on is to, to draw in different sectors together to come up with a more comprehensive solution, whether it is um, improving um, data signal in the area or increasing access or, or et cetera. Uh, I know it sounds a bit more complicated, but um, if, if they're interested to, to, to pitch in and be part of the Collective Action Secretariat, um, the, there is a link on our website to, to send us a message. I think that the, the email address is info at restartme.ph. Um, okay. We are also talking to, <clears throat> right now, at least our, our immediate 
or the immediate group that we're in touch with is, is microinsurance. Mm-hmm. Just so when disasters happen again, um, that would give them some buffer, um, some some like livelihood calamity insurance that would help them, yeah. you know, keep going even even after um, a disturbance for their livelihood activities. So it's it's re- it really depends on. I guess what sector or what industry um, they're a part of, because there's, all, there's always space for for everybody. But uh, I, I guess a more simpler way to help is to just really support local. And um, you know, when we buy our, I guess Chris, when we do our Christmas shopping, maybe it would help us to consider um, getting items from from mm. small communities because that would really go a long way for for them. All right. Aika, uh, before we before we end, do you know about seventy percent of uh, our listeners are are women, and I think majority of our listeners are young, between eighteen to thirty uh, years old. And um, what would your message be to them, those who are thinking about what they're going to do with their lives, with their careers, and what would be the message for women to participate in in the nation? I was hoping you would say 35, so I would still be part of the of the young age bracket. But you got it off at 30. Now now I'm older. No, 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 no. If we're including 35, then the percentage is going to be larger. <laughs> okay. No, I think it's it's it, First of all, I think it's number one is to acknowledge that it's it's okay if we, we really don't know what what we plan to do or who we want to become years from now. Uh, okay. we, we take on opportunities that are available to us and uh, I feel like they would lead us or if not, they will at least prepare us to, to where we are meant to go. And right. um, I, I didn't plan on, on being part of Restart Me. But uh, I guess in the in the different roles that um, I've played or the different hats that that I took on, that the one mm-hmm. conscious effort thing that I've tried to do is to try to be an enabling person to whoever I'm working with. Say when I was in oil and gas, it was how do I make the lives of the gas attendants or the cashiers better? So if if, mm-hmm. if we work on improving their sales, it means the stores won't close down, etc. When when we worked in when I worked in government, you know, it, it's a different kind of enabling, and, and now it's it's more straightforward. Mm-hmm. So I I guess the short answer is there really isn't no um, mm-hmm. right or wrong profession. It's really up to you how to figure that out. And um, yeah, I guess trust that your dots will also connect, and trust that all those challenges will prepare you for where you will be in your next steps. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mm. Yeah, that's that's actually very practical. (laughs) Room to make mistakes, room to learn from your mistakes, and room to grow. Yeah. Well, Aika, Amina, um, this has been... 
you know, like all our podcasts, right? Suddenly they realize, ayo, it'll be, it's about an hour already. So, Amina, thank you so much for introducing Aika to me and to the listeners of our podcast. Aika, thank you so much. We, I certainly want to, you know, see you thrive and grow. And I hope your your foundation just grows and grows and grows, you know. And to the audience, uh, the listeners from all around the world, please listen to She Talks Peace on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And we are also active in the Southeast Asian Women Peace Builders Facebook page. So look for us there also. So thank you for listening to us. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy here with uh, Aika Robredo of Restart Me, who Mm -hmm. I hope will restart us. So thank you. Thank (laughs) Thank you, you. Aika. And uh, see you you soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you. No, thank you. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.